Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde. I'm Austin. And I'm George. And this is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made how they were received, and whether or not they still hold up. And today, what movie are we talking about, George? Legally Blonde, featuring Reese Witherspoon. From 2001. Remember that year? No. <laughs> the, only thing I, <laughs> the only thing I remember about that year was re- one really awful thing that happened, and that's about it, unfortunately. Well, this movie came out in July, so it was like before all that. We haven't done a movie like this on the podcast yet. It's a very, like, female-centered movie, so I figured, you know, we, we shouldn't just be two dudes talking about a movie meant for women, right? We should have a guest over here that is a woman and might have a different perspective on the movie. So, I would like to introduce to you my girlfriend, Leanna. Hello, my name is Leanna. <laughs> And I'm your guest today. I don't know. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Wow. Just, take those boos back. Boo. So aggressive. Austin's too good. What? Nothing. Legally Blonde. Do you remember where you were when you first saw this movie? I do not. You don't remember? I do not. Do you remember why you saw this movie? Uh, we had chihuahuas. Like, my mom was obsessed with chihuahuas. We had nothing but chihuahuas, and there was nothing but chihuahuas until the foreseeable future. (laughs) And so any chihuahua movie that existed on the planet, we needed to watch. That's crazy to me. The idea of a certain breed of dog is the reason why you go and see a movie. Not because of who's in it, but because of the breed of the dog in the movie. Yep, she really liked her chihuahuas. (laughs) I could get behind that, though. That makes sense. If a movie features a corgi, I want to watch a corgi. Granted, I don't own one, but... Did you see A Dog's Purpose? I did not. That movie looked really sad. (laughs) (laughs) That being the exception, it looked really sad. I don't need to be in that mood. So this this came out in 2001. I remember, because this was during the period when my family would rent movies every Friday from the local Hollywood video. You were Hollywood huh? Video? We had a Hollywood Video right next to us. Yeah, we were Blockbuster. Yeah, we were Blockbuster too. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. They're both dead now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the pedigree that they left behind. Who yeah, talks, and you had talks? to go get your snacks. And I just remember it being Blockbuster. I, I remember Hollywood Video, and then they opened a Game Crazy next to it. And now it's all a Chase Bank. I didn't mourn Hollywood Video, but I mourned <laughs> Blockbuster. <laughs> Absolutely, 100% agreed. I, when I saw the Hollywood video down the street go out, I was like, yes, good. And I Jesus. secretly hoped that a blockbuster would show up there. It never did. And the blockbuster that was, uh, that was that th- where we went, it became a Chase Bank as well. <laughs> Chase just taking over. What the hell is it with Chase taking over blockbusters? Maybe they like the setup. It's like you take the most wonderful place on Earth and you convert it to the worst place on Earth. 
I remember we rented a bunch of movies and I remember this this movie and I'm like looking at the the case of the movie. I'm like, this this looks like a, a girl movie. I don't want to watch this. Like the term like chick flick comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I look back at that, that's like, why would I not watch a movie because it was meant for women? Because we you know? were young men and we were stupid. Yeah, I feel like when I was growing up, I was kind of, I don't, know, I, I don't know if I was taught or it's something that I learned. I felt like the need to diss things that were made for women. You know, I remember going into the uh, the drive through for McDonald's and then they would ask you, oh, do you want a boy toy or a girl toy? And I remember we always got the boy toys. Even my sister would get the boy toys because they were like for like movies and stuff like wild wild west movie toys we'd always get the boy toys i feel like like i i might have like pressured my sister to like get the boy stuff i also felt that need with my brother you know we would always do things together and i always wanted to you know emulate him and that happened a lot if you watched a chick flick you know he would get upset that he'd have to now watch a chick flick, you know, or we would go to McDonald's, same thing, and we would get the boys' toys because they were better. They just were better. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but they were better um, until Pokemon happened, and then it was just kind of, you know, everyone was the same because it was all the same. There wasn't, like, a male or female aspect in that. Um, but even growing up as a girl, you know, we you have that feeling of, like, well, if I watch a chick flick, then I'm just like every other girl. So I have mm. to watch something that's not a chick flick. I have to be more, you know, more like the boys. And yeah. it was a silly thing because I feel like I missed out on a lot of probably really good movies because of that. Do you remember like pressuring your sister at all, George, to like like things that you like? Oh, absolutely. Without without a doubt. Absolutely. Uh, that was especially growing up because I'm six years older than my sister. And my parents would always say, like, you have to look after her and you have to make sure that nothing happens to her. And I would I never liked doing things that she liked doing. And so mm-hmm. I would kind of like, hey, instead of playing with these toys, let's play with these. And she because she was young, younger, she would just kind of go along with it. So Leanna just made a face when you said that. Yeah, no, it's it's not good, man. <laughs> she was telling me about like, you, OK, we can play 30 minutes of this. And then we'll play 10 minutes of the thing that you wanted to do, right? Or something exactly. like that? Yeah. He would, he would barter with me. And, like, it would always be his thing first. And then mm. we wouldn't have time for my thing. <laughs> you know? Or, or he'd be like, let's do, let's, let's play Barbies. But he would turn it into more of, like, a Barbie getting run over by, like, a train kind of thing. <laughs> you know? Like, it was more towards, like, the male aspect of it. And, like, yes, I did enjoy Legos. And I did enjoy Hot Wheels. But at the same time... Maybe I want to play some damn Barbies, you know? <laughs> Maybe I feel the need to play with Barbies. And then it just tapered off and eventually it stopped. Well, it was so weird because I feel like, especially with older brothers, I feel like you you have to control what you're playing because because you you have a younger sibling. Like, you have the choice. You're, you have the authority to say, okay, we're going to play with this. And if you don't, then leave. Which younger siblings, I imagine, don't want to. I think they want to spend time with their siblings. But oh yeah, it was definitely like that in my house, without a doubt. And eventually, as I grew up personally, I started. The more I started playing video games, 
she kind of like started doing her own thing and sometimes she would watch me play video games and that was a moment where I started realizing like oh I guess she really likes this stuff too because she started playing like Call of Duty Modern Warfare and enjoying it and it just kind of clicked like oh damn that's kind of messed up of me like I've always <laughs> you, you know what I mean it was like a weird it's like a weird revelation where it's like oh she likes doing these things too and I kind of took for granted everything she wanted to do. Yeah. I don't know. I I wish I could go back and make my my younger self more feminist sometimes. I think I did some things that were like or said some things and probably did some things that were pretty like very anti-women. Well, I think that the point is that you you two have grown up to a point where that isn't the case anymore and maybe you yeah. need that learning experience and that's where these movies come in, where you mm-hmm. find that you enjoy something that is more on the feminine feminine scale. And that's I, I feel like this movie in particular, it's showing that women can do things right, but it's also showing that a very feminine woman can do things. You know, she's so unapologetically feminine, and she still kills it in what she's trying to do in this movie. Which I think was a like when the film came out, I think was like a turnoff for me because it just seemed so girly. Yeah, and I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't like this. I don't want to see this. <laughs> and I think, and well, and that's the perception I had with films like this, and with female centric stuff for a lot of years, mm-hmm. where you had someone who was unapologetically unapologetically feminine, and I was just kind of shunning it. And yeah. really, for for what reason? I don't. I liked comedies as a kid, and this is a comedy. Yeah, and the term chick flick itself is pretty pop problematic because I think you automatically associate it with something that is of lower quality, right? Mm-hmm. When you think of chick flick, it's always like pejorative or like dismissive or something. Well, what's how 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 do you go about it? Like, oh, bro, I don't want to see that chick flick. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that's that's a chick flick. That's not for me. I mean, people will always try to be specific with their genres. You know what I mean? They'll try to say, "Oh, it's a, it's a cyberpunk. It's a, it's a low, it's a goofball comedy. It's a lowbrow humor." But it's like chick flick just seems like instead of describing it in any other way, it's like, why you got to put chick in there? You know what I mean? <laughs> just because it has a female lead character or something, you know? Yeah, it's like the movie's a, a legal comedy. It's the same genre as My Cousin Vinny. My co- I love My Cousin Vinny. I've never seen it. And we've talked Dude, about this before. I love that movie so much. <laughs> but, it, but it is, though. From, from the clips I've seen, mm-hmm. it's a comedy about a, it's about a court case. That's all I know. Yeah. And this is kind of the same thing. Except, isn't she in school a little bit? Yeah. yeah. But it's still... She's in Harvard Law. But it... Okay. And... She just decides that she's going she's gonna to do it. And she does it. <laughs> she's like, yeah, this is, um, this is happening. And then she does it. Well, and I'm I'm gonna guess I, I haven't seen the film, but I'm gonna guess that this has a positive message because I'm assuming that when she goes into Harvard Law, people are looking at her. It's like, oh, what a ditz! She's gonna flunk out. Like, what a loser! Oh yeah. And she's and she somehow I'm I'm assuming that she manages to get good grades and stand out in her class and succeed. And I'm like, why wouldn't I want to see something that's like a positive message? Like, hey. You could do it too. Like, screw these like Ivy League snooty bitches. Because you've covered it in pink and labeled it as chick. 
That's yeah. really what it comes down to. Which is a damn shame. What's funny is in the I I should maybe we should, we should wait till we watch it. Okay. Yeah. Cuz it's not just it's not just men who are judging her, you know? I'm sure there are a bunch of women. I'm a, and this must be a real thing in life. Like not just for men, but there are a bunch yeah. of women who look at someone who would look at someone like Al and be like, she doesn't belong here. And that's that's the thing with women is that I, I don't know if it's the same with men, but for us, our our biggest, you know, the people who judge us the most, not only are ourselves, but also our peers, and that's other women. And, you know, when people talk about, you know, oh, she's wearing makeup for a guy, half the time, not really. We do it for other women. You know, that's who we're trying to impress. So when you have, you know, the females against you it 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 hurts it hurts differently mm-hmm. just i'm curious does it hurt more when a man insults you or when a woman insults you oh when a woman insults you okay they dig deep we will find your weaknesses and you know if a guy says something hurtful to you we've heard it a thousand times a day but like if a girl says something it's it's a little bit more directed the, the go-to insult that guys have for women is bitch or like slut. Or you're like, ugly or, you know, I fat. didn't want you anyways, you know. Which, which hurts. Yeah. But I feel like if you've already been told that and, and you know that it's not coming from a genuine place. Like, yeah. You're just saying that because you're upset. Like you don't really think all these negative things about me. You're just saying it because you want a reaction. Like, sir, I've seen your penis. You sent it to me like five seconds ago. Like <laughs> nothing you say is going to be insulting at this point because I've seen it all. Two things I'm wondering about Legally Blonde is I would like to know how accurate it is. Um, in the legal world? in both Legally the, speaking? In the legal sense and also culturally. Like, I wonder how accurate this is to women being, like, in Harvard Law, in that academic setting, how, like, similar they can relate to it, and also just legally how far they went down the rabbit hole of, okay, this law is real, this thing is accurate this i'm curious about that hmm. how accurate this film is to the legal sense in the legal sense and in the culture sense and also yeah. this was a huge hit this movie made a ton of money 141 so i'm wondering what the breakdown is because i'm sure a large female audience went to go see it but i wonder i want to know the male person i also wonder if that increased the you know the influx of female applicants to Harvard as well. Like maybe that could have given someone a boost to maybe, even if it's just a film to, yeah. you know, apply for something that they never thought that they could get into. Yeah. Cause when we did the Top Gun episode, that's what I was like, going to say. I was shocked to find out that Naval and Air Force recruitment went up 500% after that movie came out. They had, so I wonder what, they had recruitment what, tables in front of theaters. Yeah. 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 That is a that is a great question. How did this did this actually influence people, particularly women, to go to law school? That's a that's a great question. Yeah, I'll, I'll well, do some research and figure all this stuff out. See if anyone else has been asking the same questions. There's a lot of intrigue around this film. Yeah, it's a lot more than the DVD cover that I saw when I was 11 years old with mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon in pink. With her little dog in the back yeah. and her little hat and the matching hat. <laughs> it's funny because you could say that this movie has more than meets the eye. Shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make that a reoccurring theme. 
Oh, God. Just like little Easter eggs sprinkled throughout. Mostly a Transformer <laughs> Easter egg. Just because it upsets mm-hmm. Austin so much. But I no, I'm definitely curious. And looking at the cast, it looks stacked. Luke Wilson, yeah, Summer Luke Blair. Wilson. I didn't know about Jennifer Coolidge until this movie and fell in love with her. She's in freaking credible. She's an amazing actress and she's just freaking hilarious. So you don't know her as Stifler's mom. You know mm-hmm. her as Paulette. She was not funny as Stifler's <laughs> mom. She was having sex with Stifler's friends. You know, like it, it wasn't, I didn't ever like think of her as anything other than that, you know. But then when this movie came out and she she's done other things past that, that, you know, I've seen her in like um, Two Broke Girls. She's hilarious in that as well. And I, I don't religiously watch it, but. I do like the the character she plays in that as well. Yeah, Jennifer Coolidge is always like a standout character for me. Like, even in Gravity Falls, like, oh, the yeah. character that she voices. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Who was she in Gravity? She was the lady with the eye. Oh, not again. Message number 36. Hey, handsome. It's me, Lazy Susan, calling to say hi. Hi. My cat also wanted to say hi. Say hi, Donald. Yeah. Good, Sandy, you say hi. Yeah. Mr. Catface, now it's your turn to say... <coughs> Mr. Catface. <coughs> anyway, call me. Call me back. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh, man. It just clicked in my head. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Gravity fall. <gasps> it's yeah. her. That lady with the eye. Always has been. <laughs> <laughs> I only started appreciating her recently. And by recent, I mean like in the last year. Because I didn't, I knew what she looked like. Like I knew the person, but mm-hmm. I didn't know her actual name. And at, and at work, we started talking, to, they started talking about Jennifer Coolidge and all the films she had been in. I was like, wait, I've seen a lot of these films, but I don't recognize who you're talking about. They showed me a picture. I was like, that's, that's her. Like, God damn it. I could. Why so, didn't I try to? Why didn't I bother to learn her name? Yeah, she almost takes on that character and that just becomes that character. That's how great mm-hmm. she is. She just—it's so nice when you see her because she's like a breath of fresh air. Because I feel yeah. like, at least when I've seen her, it's like I know what I'm gonna get from her, and sometimes yeah. she'll surprise you in a different way. And she's always funny, and she just has good timing. Yes. So I'm definitely. I'm ready to appreciate her in a bigger role. Here's, here's hoping. Like her and Billy Porter were the best things about that uh, that like a boss movie. Her facial expressions too are hilarious. Oh my god, she's just she, this this podcast just became a Jennifer well Coolidge appreciation podcast. Right? <laughs> I hope you're well wherever you are. Has she ever been the lead in a film? Like I'm sure she because she's been a lot. I of can't films. I can't think of one movie where she was the main character. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> I heard you say that in her voice. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> I can't do it. Can you do it? I can't. Try it. No, I don't want to. You did, you did really it. well earlier. Now I want a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's perfect. That's really good. Ariana Grande does like a really good impression of her. Oh, yeah, Ariana oh, Grande. She, she does she a does lot a really of good impressions, good. though. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen, she does a lot of she. Her acting chops are really, really good. Yeah. Uh, another standout from this cast that I'm looking at, Linda Cardellini. Oh, is she? It says um, she's Chutney. 
Was she the one in Final Destination? Or is that she's, somebody else? She's in Scooby-Doo as Vilma. She is in Dead oh, to Me Oh, okay. Recently. I know who you're talking about. She was in uh, she was in Endgame as uh, Hawkeye's wife. I, I I don't remember her name, but that is Mrs. Hawkeye. Mrs. Hawkeye. And she wasn't she in Freaks and Geeks too? Yeah, she was. She yeah, was, she was in Freaks and Geeks. I've never seen it, but I I've seen pictures of the cast because they all went on to do big things. Yeah. Wait. So did you say you you didn't like this film the first time you saw it? I did not. I did not really give it a chance the first time I saw it, but I did come around on it at some point. I don't know when. So when was the first time you saw it? It was when I was like eleven years old, and it was one of our Hollywood video rentals. And did you sit down with your whole family and watched it? I think so. Oh, you know what? I think we watched it at my uncle's house. Yeah, we watched it at my uncle's house. And I, I remember like the final scene and how she solved the, the case. I remember that. I remember that specifically um, in my cousin's room watching that scene. And I missed something, so I didn't understand what she, how she did it. <laughs> so this was in 2001. So I'm just going to read off the movies that came out that year so we can get a feel for what kind of um, movie landscape that this came out in. So number one at the box office was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the first Harry Potter movie. And then we have the first Lord of the Rings movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, fuck. Come on. (laughs) And then Monsters, Inc., Shrek, Ocean's Eleven, Pearl Harbor, The Mummy Returns, Jurassic Park 3, the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes with Mark Wahlberg and Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Damn, this movie Rush got Hour 2. This movie got su- <laughs> Rush Hour 2? Rush Hour 2. Fuck, yeah. this movie got suplexed into the ground. <laughs> it got pile droven down. I don't know if that's how you say it, but it it, it got choke slammed and frog splashed and insert how many wrestling moves that you know. Well, it did it did beat scary movie two and training day at the box office training day really yeah training day is an r-rated movie yeah but that's it's denzel though and so, he won his oscar with that yeah. film wow yeah, i've seen almost all of these movies on the top 10 list same <sighs> harry potter and lord of the rings and the bridget jones diary too with renee zellweger um Never saw that. Was I've that never the, seen it either. I've never seen it. Was that the first one? Because I know there's yeah, like, the first one. Okay, that that did really well. It beat Lara Croft Tomb Raider and AI and the first Fast and the Furious movie. Wait, Bridget Jones? Bridget Jones, yeah. International box office, it outperformed those movies. But domestically, did the other films do better? Yes. Okay, but I mean, still though, good on Bridget Jones. I don't know what that movie's about, though. I know that Renee Zellweger's in it. Yeah. It's probably something that we should, like, revisit. Absolutely. Yeah, so Legally Blonde was 32 on this list. Fuck, this movie had no chance. I mean, it still it still did pretty well, because it, it wasn't, like, a super big budget. Well, what was the, uh, what was the, let's see what the budget was. The budget was $18 million. Okay. And oh. the worldwide box office was 7.9 times the production budget. So it was... Wow, this was a huge hit. Yeah, huge hit. 
after this movie, they had a sequel that critically wasn't received very well. The first one was received pretty well. And they also have a musical on Broadway, I think. Off-Broadway. I vaguely remember something about a musical. And I think they're going to do a third one, too, with Reese Witherspoon. She's going to come back for a third one at some point. The musical came out in 2007. Yeah, it was it was on Broadway in 2007. Six years after the film's release. Yeah. Uh, opening to mixed reviews and disappointing sales. Oh, no. Yeah, critically... Yeah, this film was received pretty well. It was one. Uh, it was seventy percent out of one hundred and forty-five critics. Uh, it has like a Metacritic score of uh, fifty-nine, so like a little below, uh, like like average, a little above average. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it has an audience score of seventy-two percent out of a little below a million. So these are really strong numbers, and it made a ton yeah. of money. Oh yeah, I am. Do you, curi- do you know anything about the movie? having not seen it so i know that reese witherspoon is in it obviously i know it has something to do with law school but the only other thing i know about the film is that there is a gif that has come from it i've seen this gif in multiple places and it's uh the guy i I don't know who he is but a guy saying to l you did law school or you got into harvard law or something and she replies oh like it's hard like it's difficult. <laughs> and I've seen that kind of appropriated to different, used in different conversations. And that's about it. That's all I know. So yeah, I, have- I, remember, I remember that. And I remember um, her, her friend, Jennifer Coolidge's character, mm-hmm. Stifler's mom. Uh, I remember her in the movie, the bend and snap thing. I remember watching it with my mom. I remember... Loving it. I think we ended up purchasing the movie after we had seen it. I remember us like having it so that we could watch it multiple <laughs> times. Um, wasn't really a big fan of Pink, but I loved Elle's character. If I wasn't a Pink hater, I probably would have dressed up as her for Halloween. <laughs> I remember quite a few things actually, and some things that I still, even to this day, will quote from that movie. I remember we were having a meeting at work and they were trying to talk about like positivity and like giving positive feedback to each other. And I remember talking about the snap cup and they all looked at me like I was insane. But I still quote the movie to this day. So it's obviously made such an impact on me that I still will quote it. Wait, is this, did they recognize the quote or did they just think it was a random one or two of them yeah one or two of them recognized it the other ones looked at me like i was insane (laughs) okay i've never been a huge fan of reese witherspoon like i don't think she's a bad actress Mm. but i've never i don't think i've fallen in love with a particular role that she's been in not that i can remember off the top a lot of people don't like her her appearance um some people really think she's super attractive and others think she's weird looking and so that's another thing i think people are you know lean more towards the classic beauty you know i remember being that person too i remember not liking the way she looked which is really stupid like who cares wait but is it that people think she looks ugly or that she what do you mean by weird? Like what's she has a very strong chin and I, they make jokes about it. Like family guy references it, I believe. 
Um, but she just has a different face. It's not the the classic beauty. She's a beautiful person. She just doesn't fit the mold of what Hollywood is trying to sell. Which just it just seems so odd to make fun of her because especially yeah. in recent years she's become way big, like um like like kind of a renowned actor. I mean, she was in yeah. Um, she's been in like stuff that has been very well received. She's gotten multiple nominations, um, mm. including a uh, little big liars. Big little lies. Big little, sorry, Big Little Lies. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my shows mixed up. <laughs> but Big Little Lies and um, uh, what's the uh, the Hulu show? Little Fires, I think, right? Something like that. So I think, yes, yeah, something like that. The show you're thinking of is Little Fires Everywhere. Eliana was right then, yeah. And she was on the morning show. Yeah, it's just hit after hit after hit. Yeah, she's great. Oh, she she was uh, in Walk the Line, too. She was uh, Judy, right? What's, I don't remember her name. Uh, June. June Carter Cash. She's great. I, I wish I could go back in time and, like, punch myself in the face for making fun of her. I mean, this just gets more into the, you know, male versus female in Hollywood and what women have to go through in order to become, you know, above reproach. You know, she, she right now, she's you know, great for her. She's super famous. She's super, you know, doing all these incredible things. But there was a time when they didn't respect her for who she was and the actress that she was. So, you know. Which is a shame because that's not really a fair set because, yeah, now I, now I feel bad for not really. I think it's because she. She wasn't in a movie that appealed to you as a teenager. That's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, Mark Hamill, yeah. Luke Skywalker, uh, Bruce Willis, John McClane, Keanu Reeves, Neo. These were the roles and characters that I, I was gravitated towards. And back then, there was no there was no chance that I was going to give Reese Witherspoon, Elle Woods, a chance. Yeah. So but, now, I th- is there anything else you wanted to mention before we watch the movie again? No, I'm good. I'm excited to watch it. You're excited to give Elle Woods a chance. It took 19 years, but I'm ready to give her a chance. All right. I'm excited to li- watch it for probably the 30th time, so <laughs> we'll see. All right. So well, next time you hear from us, we'll have watched Legally Blonde, and we're going to talk about how it was made, a little bit more on the legacy, and what we, whether or not we think it holds up today. So see you in a minute. Warner? Uh, I totally forgot you go here. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm sorry, are you here to see me? No, silly. I go here. You you go where? Harvard. Law school. You got into Harvard Law? What, like it's hard? Hello, everybody. We are back from watching Legally Blonde from 2001. And... George, you've never seen this movie before. Never, ever. So how did you feel about this movie? I really liked it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If anything, it makes me reminisce about films, from, like comedy films, especially like before that and even further back. But those are just my first impressions. Yeah, there's a very like early 2000s aesthetic in this movie, just from like the very beginning. You know, well, it's unapologetically 2000s, like from yeah. everything. And in some regard, it's not not a good thing 
But in, in most regards, I think it is. I think it does a lot of good things that in recent years, a lot of comedy films, there's been a shift in comedy films. Uh, and we could talk about that a little bit later, but I have not been the biggest fan of it. And watching this film feels, uh, it makes me feel like watching a classic like The Wedding Singer, where it just makes you feel good. Um, <laughs> it's just a good overall film. It's not for, it's not forcing any jokes. It's not trying to be funny all the times. It's concerned about telling a story. And it's a comedy. It has funny moments. But again, it's Elle's journey through Harvard and what she's going through. And there are obstacles. And the film doesn't pause to throw you these giant, elaborate, goofy sketch comedy bits or these long improvised scenes if if there are like those com like the bend and snap thing is a comedy thing but it's not it doesn't overstay its welcome well i was gonna say my least favorite part of the movie is the bend and snap and i could talk about that we could we could i could elaborate on that but the bend and snap scene is not i'm not crazy about it but you are absolutely right it does not over Stay it's welcome so liana you're a fan of this movie what did you think about watching it like initially, I was definitely a trip down memory lane, and I loved the um, the whole aesthetic of it. It's <laughs> it's so feminine that it just it almost seems natural. Like in the beginning, it's like pink everything. Mm. It's almost a little too much, and then as the movie goes on, like in the scenes where there isn't like color or pink, it just feels weird. So I'm I'm loving it. I I think that. You know, especially with that 2000s aesthetic, it's great. Um, mm -hmm. I love the story. Still love the story to this day. Wow. There were some scenes that I had, you know, seen when it first came out and it didn't hit me the same way, especially like the scenes where the... Professor Callahan? Yeah, coming on to um, Elle. And that, that part made me insanely uncomfortable and i think that it didn't have that same effect on me when i was a kid um mm -hmm. i was a little bit more naive at the time so now it's hitting me a little different yeah well how, how old this were you again when you when you saw this film like when did you start watching the film i'm just curious at what age oh i don't even when it came out so you were 92 right so mm -hmm. you were nine yeah about? Why did my mom let me watch this? <laughs> no, this well, well, that's the thing. This film has a very bright exterior, but it does deal with some kind of fucked up things. And it never gets really dark. Like, it never gets bleak or really depressing. But it mm -hmm. does touch on some really uncomfortable things. The yeah. Professor Callahan scene is definitely the, the worst part. But uh, she doesn't get to report him. That's not even an option in her, like... That's not even an option for her to report this guy. Should we recap the film real quick? Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, so Legally Blonde is about Elle. Uh, she is the president of her sorority at a fictional college, C-U-L-A, I think. And her sorority is the Delta Nu. And she's getting ready. And all their sorority sisters are excited for her because today's the day that Werner... Is Warner is going to propose to her? It was, his whole name is like Warner something the third, right? Warner Huntington the third, which is a bougie ass name, right? Right from the get go, you know this dude's like a rich kid. So instead of being proposed to, she gets dumped because she's not serious enough. So she's depressed. She's sad. There's a scene where she's eating chocolate and watching 
uh, soap operas. She goes with her friends to the nail salon. And then she sees a picture of Warner's brother's fiance. And she sees that 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 woman is a law student. So she's like, oh, this is how I get Warner back. I become a law student. So she studies really hard and gets accepted into Harvard Law School, the same school as Warner. And she goes from the West Coast to the East Coast, studies at Harvard. Immediately, she does not fit in. There was a like she goes into to her first class and she didn't know that there was an assignment. And the professor asks another student, Vivian, is this acceptable? Should she leave the class? And then the student's like, yeah, kick her out of the class. She, so she gets expelled from her class. And then when she she finds out that that girl that kicked her out is Warner's new fiance. So now she's depressed. She thinks that she made a mistake. She goes to a nail salon, a place of refuge for her. And she meets Paulette, who's also going through some troubles with her ex-husband. And from there, she's like, no, I can I can do this. I can be a law student. She helps Paulette get her dog back from the ex-husband. Um, she does, starts to do better and better in class. And then there's an internship program for the summer. And she applies for it. And then she gets accepted along with Warner and Vivian. So then it goes into like, it's not set in the school anymore. It's set in like the courtroom and they're preparing for this case where a rich fitness empire woman named Brooke played by Allie Larder from like final destination and stuff. Right. Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, she knows Brooke because she's also a Delta new and uh, she's, listens to her and she believes her side of the story. Nobody else does. They all think that she killed her her husband for money, but she's already rich. They think that she killed the husband. She's in jail for it. And they're they're supposed to defend her. And uh Elle finds out her alibi and refuses to tell Professor Callahan, the guy who's run he's like the lawyer of this in this case. And in doing so she earns the respect of Vivian, someone who hated her and tried to get her kicked out. And eventually, Professor Callahan makes a pass at Elle when she proves that one of the witnesses was lying. And she quits the program. And then she meets this teacher that kicked her out in the first scene at the school, uh, Professor Stormwell. And she gives her words of encouragement. So she goes back. And Brooke ends up firing Professor Callahan and hires Elle instead. And she shows up as a lawyer in a fully pink outfit and questions one of the witnesses and exposes her as the real murderer. And she wins the case. Warner's like, oh, you know what? I was wrong. I, you're the girl for me. And she says, too bad. <laughs> and, and then it skips ahead two years and she graduates. And in the title card, you see that she gets engaged to Emmett, Luke Wilson's character, who's been there the whole time and he's been like nice to her and stuff. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah, you you went over everything. Yeah. That's basically it's a it's very straightforward. Um when I was looking at some of the reviews for this, some of the people said that this was a predictable film. 
What is funny is I looked at the reviews too, right? Like from early 2001, mm -hmm. and they all called it a romantic comedy. <laughs> and it's not. It's really not a romantic comedy. Luke Wilson's character, it's not explicit that he's romantically interested in her. It's not until you get that title card that says that they're now engaged. I disagree there. From the moment, because there's this, when she gets kicked out of the classroom, she goes to the benches and she runs into Luke Wilson and he tries to console her, ask her if she's okay because she's crying. From that moment, I was like, oh, they're going to be a thing. Because it's a movie. And exactly. You're conditioned to think that way. But exactly. It's not explicit. You know, there's not a scene of them flirting together. There's not a scene of them going out. Well, that's the fun. That's the wonderful thing. It's you you get the implication that their relationship is going to go somewhere, that their that their friendship is going to lead down to a relationship. But it really the film doesn't focus on that. That does happen, but that's not the focus of it. There's no there's no uh, scene where there's a romantic montage of them going around the city and doing cutesy shit, you know, like, oh, here you have a little bit of the cotton candy. And then they're on the on the Ferris wheel. No, none of that. They're. They're really yeah. focused on in the classroom setting. There is a scene where she's in a bunny outfit and he kind of checks her out. But that's really it. Like, it's a one-shot scene. And that's, that's does all. He, does hmm? Emmett even say anything there? Uh, no, I think his response, she was, she was like, don't say anything. And he was like, wasn't going to. And that's, that's yeah. it. That's so, their entire interaction at the party. It wasn't at the party. It wasn't? It was when she was oh, buying the, the laptop. Oh, that's right. At the bookstore. He wasn't... I, was he even at the party? No. 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 War yeah, uh, right. Warner was there, and <laughs> she just... And she spoke to him, but when she went to go buy her laptop, it was at the bookstore. I think that's the final scene they have until they meet up at Callahan's office when she's an intern there. Um, yeah. And that's, that's it. And... Yeah. The one scene that they really have by themselves is when they're interviewing Chutney's mother. Raquel Welsh. Exactly. About asking her about the murder case. And they kind of, not flirt, but they have a genuinely kind of fun conversation where she calls him a butthead. And he's in awe. He's like, why, why would you call me a butthead? She seems completely untrustworthy to me. Why? I mean, th this is a person who's made her living by telling women that they're too fat. Brooke would never tell a woman that she was too fat. And she seems to me like she's hiding something. But maybe it's not what you think. Maybe it's exactly what I think. You know, you're really being a butthead. A butthead? Why would you call me that? You know, Emmett, you just need to have a little more faith in people. You might be surprised. I can't believe you just called me a butthead. I mean, no one's called me a butthead since about the ninth grade. <laughs> maybe not to your face. And then he, and then I love it because he asks her, how would I look if I was a blonde? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, like your brother? <laughs> <laughs> I disagree with people saying that this movie is a romantic comedy because it's not. It's just. It's really not. And I'm like, how? Like, I'm looking at these reviews. Most of them are like taken down, right? If you go on Rotten Tomatoes and try to click on some of them, those sites no longer exist, right? You get like a monster.com. Sorry, your site moved. You know, those, those things. <laughs> 404 not found, yeah. but there was one that was still up from the Hollywood Reporter, and it's like, dude, you should get your like journaling license revoked. Like, this is not a romantic comedy. There was no real romance in it. Most of it was just her getting her life back on track and realizing her own worth. You know, most the beginning of the movie. Yes, we see the relationship with 
you know, Warner. But then even though she goes to college in order to prove that she is the type of girl that he wants. To prove that she's serious. Yeah, to prove that she's serious. She ends up not caring about him anyways. So, yeah. you know, she learns more about herself, I think, throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing. So it's it's not a romantic comedy. It's that moment at the party where she leaves. She says, I'm going to show you how much Elle, Elle Woods is worth. That becomes her mission. Mm-hmm. So it kind of begins like in a tropey romantic comedy kind of sense. But by the midpoint of the film, it completely changes. Like Warner doesn't even really come into the picture. He doesn't even really say that much after that. So while it start while it starts off in a certain direction, it quickly spins out, and it's like, eh, yeah, she she came to Harvard for this, but she's gonna stay because of this courtroom case, and because she wants to find her self worth self self worth. It's pretty funny because I like this film, I really do. But the first half of it, I loved Reese Witherspoon from the get go. I think she was great and perfectly casted. I like the actors. I like a lot of things, but I was really thinking like, okay, like I'm. I've seen this before. I'm ready to move forward. I want to see what this really brings. And once she gets that internship, or actually not even that internship, in the halfway scene where they're talk, where they're in Callahan's classroom talking about a sperm donor court case, that's where the film switches. That's that's the point in the film where it really it really becomes evident that this is Elle's story. And once she gets the internship, it is a courtroom drama, a courtroom. It's a legal, legal comedy. A legal comedy in that sperm donor scene where they're talking about how a sperm donor has almost visitation rights because he is he contributed the sperm and Elle rebuttals. That was about, okay, this is, she's really growing into herself. And that scene was really See, engaging. Leanna is shaking her head vehemently. I disagree. <laughs> I, I do too, but I want to hear what, what, why she disagrees. I think she started getting her own personality when she decided that at the party she was done with him. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, when she decides that she's going to set her mind to this for real, like, and she's buying her little MacBook or whatever it was. Yeah. And, the orange MacBook. Yeah. And she sea still of black stands notebooks. out, but she's still herself and she still is going to kick everyone's butt. And yeah. I think that's when it really picks up. And then you start to see like the, you know, interaction in the classroom i think that's that's part of that like her developing her own personality away from what she was you know this like silly blonde girl who's just going to harvard so that she can win back her her man you know yeah. she becomes l so busy with these case studies and hypos i know what you mean i can't imagine doing all this and callahan's internship next year this is gonna be so much oh l Come on, you're never going to get the grades to qualify for one of those spots. You're not smart enough, sweetie. Wait, am I on glue, or did we not get into the same law school, Warner? Yeah, but... But what? We took the same LSATs, and we're taking the same classes. I know, but come on, Elle, be serious. You can do something more valuable with your time. I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? Oh, come on. Just forget it. I'll show you how valuable Elle Woods can be. Uh, I think that there's there's a moment after she gets the dog back from the... with She goes with Jennifer Coolidge's character, Paulette, to the trailer. There's a moment where... 
she like pretends to be a lawyer to get the dog back. And when she gets the dog back, huh? She puts her glasses on. <laughs> oh yeah, she puts her glasses on. She says she misuses the term habeas corpus. She just says it to sound smart, mm-hmm. which some law students are like, that's not accurate. I'm like, it's that's that's not what it's about. It's not trying to be accurate in this moment. It's trying to be true to Elle Woods and her journey. Do we nuke him? Who's asking? I'm Elle Woods, Miss Bonifante's attorney. And I'm here to discuss the legal situation at hand. Come again? Do you understand what subject matter jurisdiction is? No. I didn't think so. Well, due to habeas corpus, you and Miss Bonifante had a common law marriage, which heretofore entitles her to what is legally referred to as equitable division of the assets. Come again? Due to the fact that you've retained this residence, uh, Miss Bonifante is entitled to full canine property ownership and will be enforcing said ownership right now. Hmm? Tell him, Paulette. I'm taking the dog, dumbass. Must be a nice vacation for his balls. <laughs> oh. Thank you. So she pretends to be alert and then she sees Paulette reunited with her dog. And she sees how happy that makes her. There's a, a shot lingering on Reese Witherspoon looking at how happy. She just made Jennifer Coolidge's character. That's when I think she really like, I know what I want to do now, you know? Well, I, I agree with Leanna actually, where she says that the scene, the the scene and this, this scene made me just shake my head. Um, where Warner says, you're just not that smart. When she, yeah. when she's talking about getting Callahan's summer internship. And she just looks super disappointed and just in awe that she's like, well, we got in the same class. Like, we got in the same school. Mm-hmm. Same classes. Which that is mo- hilarious that he got waitlisted. Yeah, which you don't find out until later. Yeah. yeah. The reveal is fantastic. It's, I think yeah. that's, I think Leanna's right that that's the scene where she really commits to, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to do That's what this. starts the, the music montage. Yeah. <laughs> to the very early 2000s uh, female empowerment music. You know, well, and I think at that, I think at that moment, it's nice and refreshing. But for some reason, I was still kind of like, just not love, not like in love with it. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, so here's the scene where she gets serious. And there's the montage Mm. for studying and stuff. And she answers a couple, she answers Stromwell's question, um, like not 100% confident, but she still answers it correctly. I was like, okay, fine. This is, this is 2000s. Hollywood storytelling. I was like, all right, let's it's that sperm donor scene where she confronts that seems great. Where where she stands where she where she rebuttals Warner's point and she proves herself to Callahan. Where I was like, yes. And it's followed up by one of my favorite scenes with the resume in pink. Yes. And at that moment, I was like, okay, I'm okay. We I see I see what you're doing and I'm 
in it. Let's fucking do this. <laughs> so if we're sticking to past precedent, I mean, Mr. Latimer wasn't stalking. He was clearly within his rights to ask for visitation. But Swinney was a one-time sperm donor. And in our case, the defendant was an habitual sperm donor who also happens to be harassing the parents in his quest for visitation. Well, yeah, but I mean, without this man's sperm, the child in question wouldn't exist. Now you're thinking like a lawyer. <laughs> yes, Ms. Woods. Although Mr. Huntington makes an excellent point, I have to wonder if the defendant kept a thorough record of every sperm emission made throughout his life. Interesting. Why do you ask? Well, unless the defendant attempted to contact every single one-night stand to determine if a child resulted in those unions, he has no parental claim over this child whatsoever. Why now? Why this sperm? And for that matter, all masturbatory emissions where his sperm was clearly not seeking an egg could be termed reckless abandonment. I believe you've just won your case. And at that point, I was just an incremental increase of love yeah. for me from it, it, until the end, where I was like, this is, I loved it. I did want to talk about uh, how this movie isn't, like, when you think of a feminist in the, like, a feminist representation in the movie, who do you think of? A feminist? Enid. Enid, right? Who was awful. She's awful. Awful to awful. L. She's terrible. But there's there's not even like a scene where she gets better towards right. Elle. She just all of a sudden they're fine. And it's like she never reconciles with her. She's just yes. terrible through and through until they're th she's on the same court case yeah. with them. And she just all of a sudden is fine with Elle and mm -hmm. she's celebrating her victories. And I just wanted to punch her in the face. <laughs> like, how are you so terrible to a person and you claim that you're a feminist and you're supporting women? But of course, this one person who wants to be who she is, she's, yeah, she dresses up in pink. That doesn't make her less of a, you know, it, it just bothers me that you call yourself a feminist, but only to the ones that you deem worthy yes. of your appreciation. Yeah. So that, that like bothered me a lot, right? So I don't know if I want to get into this now or until we get to the research part of the episode, but there's a certain name for the type of feminist that Enid is. It's a femphobic feminist. She's like a gatekeeping feminist. And this femphobia is a, learn a term that I learned like literally like two days ago or something. <laughs> so femphobic, femphobia is like the fear of things thought of traditionally feminine. And some feminists and in some LGBTQ communities, they will see like a lesbian who presents femme, like very feminine, and they will like reject them or not believe in their sexual identity. Like, you seem straight to us. You don't seem like you're a lesbian. You're not allowed in our circle. There's like a, a, a big history within the feminist movement of people who don't see other feminists as feminists. You know, they're, they're like ex exclusionary. Like, have you heard of the term turf or swerf? No. So there's some feminists who don't, believe that trans women should be included in the gender politics of women. J.K. Rowling. 
Yes, exactly. And then there's some feminists who don't see sex workers that they should be included in the the discussion of, of feminism. Like you're you're in the porn industry, you're a stripper, you're part of the patriarchy. But like that totally denies any agency that those women have. You're assuming that they're catering to the man when maybe they just feel good about what they're doing. You know, they're taking agency over their bodies, using them how they want to use them. What's it? Fem femphobic? Femphobic. I've never yeah. even heard of that before. Dude, I never heard of it either, but I was reading this um there's a she's now like the lead editor of Polygon. Her name is Maggie Myers. And I was reading this thing uh, about femphobia, like specifically with her experience of, of being in a, being a woman in a male dominated circle, like the game industry. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I have a quote that I have from her. I thought it was like really interesting and relevant to Legally Blonde. Okay, so it's her name is Maddie Myers. She's a senior editor of Polygon. She wrote an article for Paste Magazine where she talks about how she dresses masculine when going to game conferences to be taken seriously. Those are her words, exactly, to be taken seriously. <laughs> she ended up dressing very pink, very feminine in this um, Lolita fashion show in 2009, and she wrote about her experience saying that as a small statured woman who had desperately wanted to be seen as intimidating, important, intelligent, and worth listening to a woman who had been talked down to for her entire life in a professional career in gaming spaces everywhere, walking out on stage while wearing a pink wig, a pink dress covered in printed cupcakes and gold sparkly shoes felt like a huge mistake. So she's saying that wearing pink makes her made her feel weak. Oh, Jesus. That's a thing. Like we see femininity as a weakness. You know, like when you're when you're a a, a little kid, a little I guess a boy it, in school, you know, like the worst thing someone can say to you is like you act like a girl. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, dude, I never owned any pink shirts as a kid growing up. Hell no, you would never catch me with pink. No mm-hmm. sir. I remember boys in my class when they would wear pink they would say oh no it's salmon you (laughs) would never say pink it's salmon colored oh i did that because being fish colored is better than being fucking like the inside of a fish is better than being pink oh my god i did that Mm. I, i did own a pink shirt in uh like a pink dress shirt in middle school and i remember hearing that it's like oh no it's not pink it's salmon and it's like, or how I used to say it, salmon. I used to pronounce the yeah. <laughs> It's salmon. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was like a hint that like one of my family members said, it's not pink, it's salmon. And it's like, oh, fuck, it's still pink though. Yeah. It's cr- like, I feel like this, this kind of thing exists in not just like, like straight cis male circles, but it exists everywhere. You know, even in the LGBTQ community. It's funny because I, with, with Enid, from her introduction with uh when they're in the circle and in that circle in that circle yeah. and they're saying hi to everyone and she's like yeah i uh i 
organized the lesbians against drunk driving <laughs> i got i got a vi- i was like oh i know exactly who she is and also that joke is so hilarious lesbians because, like, like what does drunk driving like have like a drunk drivers running over lesbians in particular it's yeah just, i just thought it was so funny but at that moment i was like okay i i get who she is Hey, how you doing? I'm Enid Wexler. Got a PhD from Berkeley in women's studies, emphasis in the history of combat. And uh, last year, I single-handedly organized the march for lesbians against drunk driving. Killer. Thanks. Good times. And she kind of resembled some of these people that try to appear so intelligent and so woke. It just comes off as phony. Yeah, it's like a performative feminism. Yes! And... And the scene where she's talking about uh, changing it from semester to Ovester. Number one, brilliant fucking joke, by the way. But also, I was just like, this is, no, man. You're, you are completely so unwoke. Yeah. It's hilarious. Warner, Warner, the English language, it, it is all about subliminal domination. I mean, take the word semester, okay? This is a perfect example of this school's discriminatory preference of semen to ovaries. That's why I'm petitioning to have next term be referred to as the winter Ovester. Excuse me. I don't know if it makes any sense or if it you can cut this if it doesn't, but sure. it spells out lad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what spells out lad? Lesbians against drunk driving spells out lad. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? That's that's another way of like, you know, tossing aside femininity over something that's more masculine. And I just I didn't think about that. You know, the the thing about that the uh semester ovester lesbians against drug driving, that's just funny stuff. That doesn't that didn't anger me a lot. I just thought, well, this is just kind of stupid. It just it makes you look dumb. But whatever. I'm not, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to be angry at someone for looking or sounding a little dumb. That's that's not my problem. What angered me about Eden a lot, Enid. Enid. Oh, sorry. Okay, Enid. What really what really chapped my cheeks at Enid? <laughs> I don't want to hear about your cheeks. <laughs> oh, my cheeks were my cheeks were pasted. This whole movie. Mm. What does that mean? <laughs> what cheeks are you talking about? My cheeks, Austin. My my interior and outer cheeks were chapped. You've interior cheeks. Yes. <laughs> Okay. One scene that really bugged me <laughs> the most, and it, and I was like, you know what, Enid, I'm sorry, but you're kind of being a dick. Vivian and her friend being assholes to L. It's not good, but it makes sense. You have this really, you have Vivian who's incredibly smart and talented, and she kind of looks down on someone who is who looks and sounds completely different from her, who kind of. From from how society has shaped them, they look dumb. Women that are blonde who wear pink and stuff, right? Also, I think there's a bit of like she's the ex girlfriend. Yeah, she's, Ex- she's your rival, exactly. Yeah. So it exact in the scene in the party. Oh, honey, it's okay. You got the ring, exactly. There's there's mm-hmm. so it makes sense why Vivian would have beef with Al. But Enid, you're you're a fucking lesbian. Like your whole life, people have been judging you literally because of who you love. And you're just going to hate on Elle because of what she's wearing? Like, the double standards there blew my fucking mind and got me so pissed. And when Elle's rebuttal is perfect, because Enid makes fun of her. She makes that California Malibu Barbie girl accent. It's like, why don't you, like, go to the quad? And, like, there's a sorority there. And, like, 
out in the benches and why don't you guys go to like some and doing that yeah voice? yeah that fucking pissed me off and fucking mm, when al rebuttals and she's like look you know what and if you had rushed i would have been nice to you hey maybe there's like a sorority you could like join instead like you know if you had come to a rush party i would have at least been nice to you oh is that before you voted against me and then called me a dyke behind my back i don't use that word <laughs> You must have heard it from Vivian. She won't even repeat the word that she, she said. She won't even repeat it. And she's like, you probably heard that from Vivian. Now, that's a shade at Vivian. But Enid, for fuck's sakes, like, how, like, you are literally in a suppress, you're in a double suppress group because number one, you're yeah. a woman. And number two, you are a lesbian. So you got it pretty bad. So to just do, just to base, just to judge someone on what she's wearing it's kind of a, a kick to the balls. Fuck you. No. Get out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> no, that shit pissed me off. Well, there's another word that I learned. It's called like respectability politics, which is someone in a suppressed group that tries to suppress others within that group so that they look more respectable. That's basically what that it is. That makes no fucking sense to me. But it happens, though. Oh, and that's right? the thing. And look, I know maybe the film exaggerates. It is a comedy film. But it just bugs me because I am sure that this has happened. This is a thing that fucking happens. And it just bugs me because yes. just, just seeing it. I wouldn't stand for it if it was in another – if it was in other – One of the other areas that, you know, is big right now, nowadays, is the body positive movement. It's the same thing. If you're ultra thin, you get attacked for being ultra thin. Mm -hmm. it's, like real women have curves? Yeah. Like where does that leave women who don't, you know? I've known many, many girls in my lifetime throughout school that have been told to eat a burger. Actually, I think my cousin was told that when she was taking photos at the beach, you know? Like, you can't even just you can't just exist anymore. There's always got to be something, yeah. you know, and especially with the current issue with body positivity, like you have to include all. And when you don't, that's that's problematic. Exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I just think it's I think Enid is like a perfect rep representation of that kind of like single minded activism. Like if you're not woke the way I'm woke, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And I'm going to cancel you. Exactly. And Enid, the actress did a yeah. phenomenal job. I don't want to shit on her. Yeah. She did a great job. But, but like e even Elle, when she's faced with this kind of, I want to say oppression, she doesn't turn around and do anything spiteful to her fellow women. Like never. What I love about this film is how kind Elle is. Mm -hmm. She never yells. She never criticizes. She never demeans anyone. Even Vivian, one of my favorite scenes is when Vivian goes to her uh, dorm room. Yeah. And Vivian, who has actively been, been like belittling and being a dick to Elle. Yeah. Elle just responds in kind and, oh, here, meet my puppy, Bruiser. And yeah, it's kind of messed up that Callahan has you doing all of this. Uh, she's just being positive. She's just being positive. And every time anyone, anyone's mean or anything, she doesn't. What she she gets upset, you know, as as any human, as any person would. Yeah, she might have like a quip here or there, but she doesn't actively go and start fights. You know, she responds in the best possible manner, and that is why I love L. She is just what we should all strive for: just 
positivity mm-hmm. and just being kind to others. Even before that scene um, where she, you know, goes into her room and they have this like girl chat, she was complimenting Vivian outside of the courtroom when she first went in. She said, you look nice today. <gasps> like even right. though they're already yeah. enemies and they've had this negativity between them, she still will go out of her way to compliment people. She's always there to raise other people up. It doesn't matter what situation they're in or what level, what class they're in, which is another issue is the classes. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. The classes, the divide between them. She doesn't ever see someone like the nail tech. She befriends her right away. Mm. She never sees you for what position you hold. She sees you as a person. Yes, that's what intersectional feminism is supposed to be about. You know, like you, you treat... You want everybody to have the same rights as everybody else. The worst thing she says to someone that I can recall is butthead when she calls Emmett. And she's not even being 100% serious about it. Yeah. Uh, she very uh, standard. Like she is a, uh, a model person. Yeah. Model and a, citizen. A model citizen. <laughs> Any, uh, so she's like all about female solidarity, right? And you see what happens to people who don't see that, who don't value female solidarity. Like that the result of the murder trial, it's Chutney trying to kill Brooke for marrying her dad. Mm-hmm. It's the the opposite of what Elle is about. <laughs> I that that was such a great scene. How Elle just manages to wrap Chutney around her finger by the end. And it's with her her knowledge of, you know, things that, you know, people would describe as feminine or frivolous. Like, I know about hair care, and that's what's gonna, that's what solves the case. Well, one of the, one of the admirable things about Elle is that she is very multi-talented, but we don't, we don't really think of it that way. She's very, she's mm-hmm. very smart with fashion and beauty products that she knows, she catches Chutney in her lie. Um, and I was thinking, like, Wow, it's great. It must be great to be Elle because if she didn't want to be a lawyer, she could go back to, she could work at fucking a, a designer. When she was in school, that's what she what majored in or what she was just fashion. Yeah, history of polka dots. Yeah. <laughs> but like that was where she wanted to go was fashion originally, and she use that later on which is funny because the counselor that originally was talking to her was like i don't think anyone's going to be impressed with you know and then she starts naming off the classes and it's like well that's hilarious because at the end she uses that same knowledge that you were Mm -hmm. criticizing yeah so i think the film is saying that these things just because they're feminine doesn't mean they don't have value absolutely agreed oh wait we we have to we have to talk about the bend and snap yeah well i was going to bring that up um, the two things, uh, there was a couple of things I wasn't totally in love with. The first half just didn't grab me. You know, there are films like in the first few minutes, just grab you. It's like, all right, you're in for a roller coaster ride. You son of a bitch. Um, this one didn't, it eventually becomes into this courtroom dramedy. That's when I really started liking it. The one scene I'm not crazy about is the bend and snap. I just. My suspension of disbelief was pushed a little too far. I'm like, okay. It's a weird music dance scene. Yeah. I'm just not. I'm, but, okay. I'm just not into stuff like that. Like, I'm not into musicals. 
if you look at it by itself, it's just kind of like, oh, this is just like a little fun moment in the movie. But I think the funniest scene in the movie is when Paulette does the bend and snap for the UPS guy. <laughs> yes. I think that's the funniest scene in the movie. I, I would agree. It definitely It's also one of the most memorable. If you ask yes. anybody what legally blonde anything, like first thing that comes to your mind, they're gonna think of bend and snap. Like Yeah. It's, it's iconic. Yeah. It's the scene where she actually like performs it for the I think that's like the best scene in the movie. I like the idea of the bend and snap scene. You know, she's kind of helping Jennifer Coolidge like kind of uh, find her confidence a little bit more. Yeah, and then all these women kind of joining in, and all these, and all these different women just kind of doing it. It's kind of it's a cute thing. I'm just not crazy about these random dance scene numbers. Uh, to me, it's just like, all right, let's stop everyone. But it's it doesn't <laughs> hurt the film. But my one of my fun one of my favorite quotes is from this scene when the blonde guy comes in and he says. Oh my god, the bend and snap works every time. <laughs> I I had to pause the movie and I was just dying. So it still got you. So why are you, the, are you It's it's just it's negative. <laughs> it's uh it's I'm not completely in love with the scene, but I love that quote. I just it, it's a it's a walk to get there, you it's, know? Yeah, it's um it's just a weird thing and it speaks more to me. Because I just don't like these mm. random numbers. I mean, the 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 newest Charlie Angels had that, where there's just a random dance scene. It's like bad girl talking about a man, man. I just and they're doing this dance number thing. Yeah. I just I'm not for it. I'm not here yeah. for it. But that quote, oh my god, yeah. the bend and snap. God, the bend and snap works every time. Oh, I was dying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and like that that scene went with the UPS guy shows up for the package and you see Jennifer Coolidge sign with the pen and then she holds the pen and looks at it and you just know, oh shit, she's gonna do the bend and snap. Slow-mo. And it goes in slow-mo. <laughs> And you know something's gonna happen. What's gonna happen? And then she hits him, breaks his freaking nose. That's hilarious. That whole I was laughing out loud. You don't know about the broken nose until the court scene either. <laughs> yeah. He has the, the bridge of his nose is all taped up. So you just it just cuts. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You you find out about it because Paulette called call, because Paulette mm, calls mm-hmm. her. I screwed it up. <laughs> but you don't see it until until yeah. the courtroom. One of the things was um, people say that this film is kind of predictable. And that's a complaint that not just this film, people will have towards this film, but towards other films. Like pre- all films. Yeah, people are like, it's predictable. It's Well, that to me, that's not a problem. I think a lot of it matters on the execution. And maybe, yes, mm-hmm. I can predict what might happen, but I'm not going to guess every step of the way. I'm not going to find right. the little joys and the little hidden gems that the writers have put. Like that bend yeah. that snap scene. I know because of film convention and because of story tropes and the way that Paulette is looking at, at the, 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 the UPS guy, she's going to do the bend and snap, but how is it going to play out? And then you get the wonderful actual scene. And that's this entire film. You could, yes, it's a little predictable, I'm sure, but it's not about being completely surprised, parasite style. It's about enjoying... Yeah. The little hidden gems and the jokes and yeah. the little 
the little character moments that are everywhere mm-hmm. in this film. And that's what makes it enjoyable is watching L in this journey. And I was like, even the critics that hated the movie, they were like Reese Witherspoon. She's amazing. Yeah. You can't, she has such a superb, like she shines so bright in this film, just both the character and Reese that you, you don't yeah. want to stop watching it. There are stuff that I didn't predict. I didn't predict that professor Callahan was going to, he, he gave her the internship because she was hot and then he was going to later make yeah. a move, which was devastating. When I watched it again, I noticed how many of those interns were female. Oh, yeah. He, it's <laughs> so, it's so, you don't guess the subtle little things like that. And they genuinely break your heart. I was really upset when Professor Callahan made that move. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, especially from the beginning, I was like, this guy's different. He's gonna, mm-hmm. he's like a mentor. No. Not when he starts asking her to get the coffee. When he starts mm-hmm. asking Vivian. Because like, that's he's all never gonna ask anyone else. Well, yeah, that's well, all Vivian does as an intern at Harvard Law is get this dude his coffee. And while it is super satisfying because you don't like her and you're, you're tailored to not like her, it's still like, oh, he's saying that because she's a girl. She's, yeah. she's a woman. And Never asks Warner to go mm-hmm. get him coffee. And he's just as useless. <laughs> yeah, just as useless. Oh, I, was, I 100% agree with you. It was satisfying when he says, when he asked Vivian to get the coffee for the first time. But later on, when the scene where he feel when he touches Elle's leg, it's almost like, like, oh, fuck me. You just have to revisit all everything he's done. It's like, fuck. <laughs> Why? There's a line that he has in this movie that, that tells you exactly who he is. It's when it's after she gets the intern, after she uh, gets the alibi from Brooke. And she's like, oh, I can't tell you. I can never break the bonds of sisterhood. In the shooting script, he says, fuck sisterhood. Well, and yeah, in and the movie, I th- he says, forget sisterhood. Yeah, that I think. It's hard to predict every move, and if you are able to, then if you still can't enjoy films, I'm sorry, I feel bad for you. But sometimes a film can be predictable, but very much enjoyable. And that's this film. What was such a, a breath of fresh air is that it's a, it's telling an actual story and it's not pausing every five minutes to show us this elaborate, goofy scene that has nothing to do with the story. And it doesn't show us these 10 minute scenes of complete improvisation. They have a story that they're telling it. It's not funny. Every scene, it has its moments, but it's just, let's tell the story of L. I feel like I don't watch enough comedies that take their stories seriously. And they're saying, here's mm-hmm. a theme. And there's a point to all this. No, it's we've gone from a five minute scene of pure improvisation to the other, and they have no real connection and no real story logic, but fuck it, it's funny. And it's like, no, <laughs> I'm I'm done with that. People took stuff seriously, like they like the writers and directors took legally blonde, then we would be in a much better place. I'd like to revisit the scene with Callahan and Vivian and L as well, where Vivian doesn't believe her. She sees that small scene of the hand on the leg and she just immediately assumes yeah. that she's, oh, this is how she got in. She, mm-hmm. she All this work, all this time, all this effort for her to just disregard all of that because a man put his hand on a woman's leg. 
and how that relates to some of the cases that we've had this last, what, year or two, like where women were being told that they, you went too late or you. Oh yeah. You, you came forward too late. Yeah. Or you, why are you coming forward now? She wasn't going to say anything. She felt that no one would, you know, no one already takes her seriously. Yeah. The first scene, Vivian immediately disregards everything she is and everything she, who she is. And she's like, oh, well, that's how you got into this program. I see mm-hmm. that now, you know? Yeah. What makes Vivian redeemable for me is when they're in, when Emmett, Brooke, and Vivian are there. And Vivian makes a snide comment. And Emmett's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And Vivian, and he explains what happened, and Vivian just has the look of disdain on, on yeah. her part. That's what's like, yes, yeah, you, you, didn't know the, you didn't know everything, and you just assumed. But, yeah. having, but it's, about, it's about realizing your mistakes, and changing, and learning, and changing mm-hmm. that kind of mentality. In the musical that they made, they changed that scene in the hair salon. It's actually Vivian and Enid that come and bring uh, Elle back to the case. It's not Professor Mm. Stromwell. I think I said Stromwell earlier. (laughs) Stromwell. Yeah, which I think it kind of addresses the issues I had with Enid. And a little bit of Vivian because they don't really have that reconciliation. It's just kind of, oh, now they're best friends. At the end. Yeah, it doesn't... Her being told that she didn't, you know, that she did something shitty, that bothers me because, like, you... It took someone telling you that you were wrong to realize that you were wrong. You shouldn't have automatically assumed that Elle was, you know, in that situation by choice. You should have assumed that... Or don't assume anything. Talk to her, you know? I... The the Vivian thing, you're right. It's very frustrating. Um... Because why did you assume, you know, why didn't you just speak to Elle and mention it? I think mm-hmm. what, what I really like about that scene is that it, it, it speaks very honestly. It's something that's, that's really honest, I think. It's, it's disturbing to look at. Yeah, because I've, because I've definitely done that. I've definitely mm-hmm. assumed things about people when you could just ask or be upfront about it. But because I have, a pre- because I have presumptions about that person or because I assume things about that person, it, oh, this affirms my my assumptions. Now I'm right. It's confirmation bias. It, it, exactly. That's actually a good thing that they did, where they added that scene between Enid and Vivian and Elle, bringing her back. But um, yeah. I think just the realization in the musical. That, yeah. And Enid, you know, I'm a feminist, but am I really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I can't, like if I'm not going to help other exactly. people. Like she should be forming groups about helping women facing discrimination in those internships. Like, that's what... Lesbians against that, you know? That could have been a nice little, like, excerpt at the end. Like, this is what Enid is doing now. She's not a horrible person. Mm -hmm. She's not a gatekeeping feminist. (laughs) Um, But as far as the making of the movie, did you know that this was actually a book before it was a movie? Uh, Someone did mention it to me. I did not. So it's a woman who went to Stanford Law. Her name was Amanda Brown. She documented her experiences at being a woman at Stanford Law. She talks about how she went to this um, a women's group, like women at Stanford 
or whatever. And she hears these women talk about changing the term semester to Ovester. That was the thing she heard? That was a real thing. Oh, yes. fuck me. Yeah, and she started laughing, and then all the women looked at her, and she didn't make friends from from that point on. In fact, I th- I think that she was kind of ostracized from the women in the Stanford Law community, so much so that she'd never finished. Like, she never got her law degree. She went on to become a relatively successful writer with, with this book. She wrote a bunch of letters talking about her experiences there, turned it into a book that was printed on pink paper. So that that thing about her resume being pink, that also comes from the reality of Amanda Brown's life at Stanford and turning it into a book. And she shopped it around and it got optioned before it got published because the producer, Mark Platt, saw it and he recognized, oh, this could be a really cool movie. He's also the producer behind Josie and the Pussycats, have you seen that movie? I have not. Dude, we, sh- we should totally do that as an episode. Because I that is a once-in-a-lifetime adaptation that I don't think we're ever going to see again in that style. Josie um, and the Pussycat Dolls? Yes. What? No, Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> have you oh. never heard Josie and the Pussycats? <laughs> Dolls? Like the cartoon? I don't think so. The comics? Like a spinoff of the Archie series? Uh, I know Archie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's a spinoff or it's just in the same comic universe, but anyway. It's a girl thing. <laughs> yes, it's a girl. It's, it's another movie with similar themes of female empowerment and what it means to be female in a public space, I guess. I, I need to rewatch that movie. Uh, so he saw it, he liked it, and he wanted to. Uh, she, he bought the rights, or MGM acquired the rights to make the movie before the book was even published. Shit. The book. The book came out one month before the movie hit theaters. Oh. And I, I didn't have time to read this book. All right. I'll be honest. I didn't read it. But I read someone's... I'll, I'll post a link later. But this, there's this blog that does like, oh, what was better, the book or the movie? And when they read the book, they're like, I don't like Elle in this book. Elle is really bitchy. She's very condescending to women that aren't as beautiful as her. You know, it's kind of like throwing the whole uh, female solidarity, you know, anti-femphobia thing out the window. Because she, now she's making these assumptions of women in her own head. She talks down to them. She wants to flaunt her beauty to make other people feel bad. It's, it's like, man, what is, what's going on here? Sounds like a different L. It sounds like a different L. And I didn't read the book. I'm just going off of this one person's opinion. But there's a line that Amanda Brown has when she... The author of the book, she says when she went into that women's group, she describes the people there as not women, but angry people, which is kind of problematic, I think. So, and it, it kind of makes me re-examine what Enid's character really was. Maybe it actually was a jab at feminists. Or maybe it was a jab at the feminists that she encountered there at Stanford Law, but I don't know. I think you can kind of interpret it either way, but I'm leaning towards it's a jab at or anti-femme feminist. They got these screenwriters to like, of course, adapt it to is a, adapt it to a script, and a few things they added. I don't think Emmett was in the book as much, 
Um, they added Professor uh, Stromwell, and I think Callahan was also an original character to the movie. And the bend and snap was also original to the movie. Um, according to the, the writers, Karen McCullough Lutz and Chris, Kirsten Smith, also the same writers from 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh. They were the screenwriters for this movie. The director was this first time feature film director. This is his first feature film. He was 26 years old, which makes me feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a different time, uh, man. Different time. It's a different time. He was Australian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, he did this like musical in his like film school, and people were like, "This is awesome! You're gonna get a movie." Yeah, and, you got a lucky break. Yeah, and then yeah, no, man, that that was back when Hollywood would give people movies because they made a fucking musical that was good. Get the fuck out of here! Yeah. You can't do that bullshit today. <laughs> the the director's name is Robert Luketic. And the name of the musical was like, it was something ridiculous. It's Tiziana Buberini. All right. <laughs> so this was not his first choice in, in a movie to do. He thought this was kind of like a frivolous wet t-shirt. He described it as like a wet t-shirt contest kind of movie, you know, which it's not. It's, it's, it's weird how people which will they assume. they mention in the movie. They but... mention it. It's mentioned. But it's not what the movie's about, which is really funny because a lot of people make assumptions about this movie when if you look at it, it's a lot more wholesome than it sounds, yes. I guess. Um, so you have this director, you have these screenwriters, you have Mark Platt as a producer, and um, they're trying to cast their L and it was, I think it was the director who immediately wanted Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon read the script and she thought it was just like another clueless because if you read the shooting script it literally starts with head over heels by the go-go's plays as blah 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 and it's like this is clueless right <laughs> so she didn't want to do it but the director or the producer convinced her to do it and in preparing for the role she would go to beverly hills and like talk to the sorority girls there she wanted to, it to be authentic um, I think there's a story of her agent telling her the studio execs don't believe you're sexy. They think you're the shrew from Election, which was the movie that she did before. Mm -hmm. So when you go into this audition, dress sexy. Disgusting. Yeah, which is something that you could just say to women in the early 2000s. You probably can still say that to them now. Like only recently I've been seeing people posting these casting calls and how they're really like misogynistic. Um, but she was a young actress. She had a kid on the way, or maybe she had just given birth. Um, so this was like, this is my big chance to do something mainstream. So she did it and she put everything into it. She says that there are a lot of sleepless nights working on this movie while raising her, one of her kids. They tried to get it set at UCLA, but UCLA was like, no, this is too stereotypical. So, so they end up making up the school, C-U-L-A. And I think there's the scene in the diner when she gets when she gets broken up with. I think that's actually shot at UCLA. <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they couldn't use the name of the school because the school's like, we don't want our school associated with this. Harvard eventually said yes. They didn't actually get to film at Harvard. 
but they were able to use the name. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious. Did you ever find if there was a, if this movie led to more women wanting to go into law school? Okay, so I did find a <laughs> few statistics showing two bumps in enrollment in law schools between 2000 and 2002. There's about 5,000 more law students than there were before. Uh, and in 2006 to 2008, I think there was another another bump. And those are the only two bumps in... Female applicants? Not in, It didn't say what mm. kind of applicants. That's the thing. Like These stats are like behind paywalls and they're incomplete. They don't take gender into consideration. Some of them don't take ethnicity into consideration. Mm. But the few that I found were like... Okay, there's two bumps here, and they're both around releases of Legally Blonde. I'm sure there are some women that went to law school because of Elle. Reese Witherspoon says, or she said in an interview, that every week someone comes to me and says, oh, Elle Woods is the reason I'm a law student. There's an article... <laughs> That's just so wholesome. I, I know, right? It. That's really nice. There's like a whole Twitter thread of women who talk about what legally blonde means to them. I think there's a student that went to like Oxford or something <laughs> that says that she always brings like a legal a pink post-it notepad and a pink pen in honor of Elle Woods. And that's what gives her strength when she's having a hard time at law school. That just sounds like so that that just sounds so positive. It's like I know, right? It's and that's that's such a that's that to me is a sign of a great character. Like what yeah. is really wrong with her? Not not too much, honestly. I mean, like her, she she wants to bring, she wants to get Warner back because as a woman, that's what she thought she had to do. Like her parents don't encourage her to do anything except be pretty, you know? Exactly. From the beginning of the film, she goes to, she goes to Harvard Law School for the wrong reasons, but she walks out the same person, essentially, but just better. Just a, a better version of herself. Exactly. And one of my favorite things that, that highlights this is that they use the exact same song yes. at the beginning and at the end. It's the same mm-hmm. song. I don't know who it was, yeah. but it's a uh, it's Hoku. Like, find this pretty interesting study in an article from the 2005 in the this journal of gender social policy and law from washington college of law and the article was titled costs of an outdated pedagogy i hope i'm saying that right pedagogy study of gender and of harvard law the pedagogy is like the way you teach right it's a teaching method The article kind of starts by mentioning that the current practices, as of 2005 anyway, are all, they all stem from this guy, Christopher Columbus Langdale, one of the deans of Harvard Law, and how they would use the Socratic method, which is talked about in the movie. Like, I think Emmett mentions it after Elle gets kicked out. She's like, oh, do they just grill you and kick you out of class? And he's like, Oh, yeah, you had Stromwell. Yeah, it's called the Socratic method. Basically, you you talk to a small group of students and you ask them a question. And then if they've done the research, they prepared, they'll answer you. And then you question them again, trying to get them to contradict themselves. At the, at the end of it, 
They question whether or not they were right in the beginning. But it's supposed to promote critical thinking. But if you use it as like an educational method, it can be really confusing, right? Because at the end of it, at the end of the Socratic dialogue, you're supposed to be confused about what you believed in. <laughs> so if you're in class listening to this, you're like, oh, what was the right, what was I supposed to learn from this? The teacher will pick on students. The students will volunteer or the, the professor will just pick, pick them, right? So in the study, they sat in 190 courses and listened to 7,800 comments. And they took note of who was speaking. And in the study, they showed that even though the female population at Harvard was about 45%, the female students only made up 39% of the 7,800 comments. The study went a little bit more in depth, showing that women only made 34% were self-volunteered comments. And on average, a male student was 50% more than likely than a female to voluntarily talk during a class meeting. And they kept track of who exactly was speaking. And apparently 12% or no, 50% of the total comments were made by 18% of the male population of the, the same male group. Does that make sense? Or is that just a bunch of numbers? That's, that's a whole bunch of numbers, man. Mm, it makes sense. <laughs> All I know is that my, me and my boys are dominating. A small, a small group of men made up half of the the comments in the 190 courses. Oh, there there are those guys that won't shut the fuck up. They're like, "Yeah. Well, actually, professor." Yeah, and if you're learning in this this like, you know, this educational method where it's based on dialogue, the people talking are the ones benefiting from it. Right? So if it's mostly men, <clears throat> getting stuff out of it where does that leave the women and the study went on there was a survey with it too and it showed that the women didn't feel like they belonged at harvard because of all this all this stuff just interesting that it's a female professor who's using this method that clearly isn't working for females yeah like with the title of this the this article that's what it seems like they're trying to say like this doesn't work for for females this doesn't work for underrepresented groups and even in the survey they mentioned that only 12 percent was it 12 percent or only 12 of the professors were female <laughs> I, I don't think i wrote that one down but there was a huge minority of those professors were female damn and i think even in those classes males were more likely to speak than female interesting go men yeah <laughs> jesus christ yeah and then there's this one thing that it's there's not a lot of uh, there's a lot of white people in this movie. There's not a lot of. <laughs> I, I was I was wondering how we were gonna bring that up because I'm like straight man, up I, say it. There's not a lot of there's a lot of white people in this movie. Not look, a man, lot of people of color. Look, man, it's super apparent. There are no there's, black people. There are no fucking yeah. Mexicans. No, there's three black people, no Mexicans, mm-hmm. and nobody there's, else. There's two Latinos. Oh, you're forgetting about the star witness, <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's lying no. under oath. And yes. and his bitch ass boyfriend who can't even keep a straight. Why is his boyfriend a bitch? Oh, oh, you want to talk about it? Okay, oh, a little a little bit of context. Okay, this might not make it in, but fuck it. So Chuck and what's his Enrique? Enrique is clearly lying under oath. He's trying to protect uh, uh Chutney or uh Chutney yes. Chutney Chutney Chutney. So he's lying to protect her. Okay, so if I'm dating someone, let's just say I'm Enrique. 
And I've got my bae Chuck with me. I'm like, look, bae, I'm about to say a bunch of shit. It's not true. And I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to prove that I've been sleeping with this white woman. So don't get insecure. I might just have to say some shit, but don't worry. I love you. All right. I'll bang you after the court. Don't even worry about it, boo. And so, and then for some reason, under pressure, when everyone is watching, and Enrique, I just made a slip up. And I'm like, oh, 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 no, no, Chuck's just a friend. Bitch, yeah, Chuck is going to get up and be like, what, bitch? <laughs> Motherfucker. Did you ever take Mrs. Wyndham on a date? Yes. Where? A restaurant in Concord where no one could recognize us. And how long have you been sleeping with Mrs. Wyndham? Three months. And your boyfriend's name is? Chuck. Right. Pardon, pardon me, pardon me. I, yes, Mr. Salvatore. I, I was, uh, I was con- confused. You oh. see, I thought you said friend. Chuck is just a friend. Oh, okay. <laughs> you bitch! <laughs> Chuck, wait! Silence in my court. Sit down, Mr. Salvatore. I should... Mm, you are That's not... so funny. You are not a ride-or-die bitch. No. Uh-uh. That's interesting that you're mad at Chuck. Not the guy who's lying no, to no, put well, a woman well, away in jail. Well, okay. In the grand For scheme money. of things, I don't like. I don't like Enrique either. I don't like Enrique. <laughs> he he makes Elle's life a little bit harder. He also cuts in line. <laughs> and you're he, gonna call Chuck the bitch? No, lo, no, Chuck no. was right. No. <laughs> Enrique, look. Maybe they maybe they had a fight before this where mm-hmm. they were discussing the terms of their relationship and it just set something off in Chuck and he was like, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm gonna screw him over. We out. That I think is a really is one of the other funniest scenes in the movies because like, oh, why would he be there? You know, <laughs> it's it makes he's again, supporting his boo. Yeah, you want to support me? Don't fucking rat me out. Or maybe he was following him. Maybe. He's following him, and Enrique didn't even know that Chuck was there. Something funny about that. Well, there's two things funny about that scene. One, the caricature of Enrique. That was time. It's, it's pretty stereotypical. He has the, the, <laughs> the Virgin Mary on his back. It's, it's super stereotypical, but it's funny. I, I was dying. And um, when Chuck... Can we take a break real quick? Oh, okay. Leanna's got a pee. I'm sorry. Oh, oh you know right what? I, no, I actually need a pee too. Okay, All right. George talks a lot. Uh, okay. All right, what were you saying? I was just complaining about Chuck being a bitch. Is that really the best word to use now that I think about it? It's a, it's a very gendered term, isn't it? It is. Bitch. Um, Chuck is being... The butthead. <laughs> What was the word that you said, Liana? Butthead. <laughs> yes, Chuck's being a butthead. If li- if I'm lying under oath, man, you better lie with me. In the grand scheme of things, what Enrique is doing is bad. But I'm just saying, if I'm lying, and you, my boo, we in this together. You're assuming that uh, Chuck knew what Enrique was doing at court. Probably, but uh, why would Chuck be there though? I don't know. This is the whole. I think he followed him. <laughs> I want, that's my headcanon. Like he maybe followed he him thinks there. he's cheating. Yeah. Oh, why are you dressed so yeah. nicely, Enrique? Well, it doesn't yeah. matter. What do, what do you think? You <laughs> want to look nice. Like, it's a deleted okay. scene. <laughs> but can I just really talk about that scene real quick? Because mm-hmm. you brought up you brought up how Enrique cuts L 
in line. She's at a water yeah. fountain about a drink, but Paulette's she's talking to Paulette on the phone, and Enrique cuts her to drink water from a water fountain. What I a little sly thing I like is she notices Enrique and starts tapping her foot. Yeah. And we get a and we get a close up of her shoe. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a little redundant because I could hear the foot tapping. Right? I was like, well, yeah. well you're drawing my attention to something that I, I already know is there. Right? Mm-hmm. And then he right. says the uh, and then he says, uh, "Don't you st- don't you tap your foot at me with those last season Prada shoes, honey." And this is when she gets the reveal, <laughs> something yeah. that I really liked. <laughs> she realizes that he's gay because he recognizes that her shoes are Prada, and she's like, "Straight men don't know designer." <laughs> <laughs> and immediately when she said that, I paused the movie, went back, and I looked at the shoes. I was like, "Yeah, I have no fucking clue what they are." <laughs> And I loved it because either the writer, the director, or the editor was like, look, man, she's going to say this line and a bunch of guys are going to feel butthurt that they don't recognize it. So we're going to... Really? Because she's like, straight men don't know designers. I don't think a straight man likes to be told that he doesn't know things. You know what? You're not wrong. (laughs) So so they were like, you know what? We're just going to have this shot right here of the shoes and straight men aren't going to notice a damn thing. If if you know designer, maybe you'll catch you'll catch it that it's a product shoot. But most guys are gonna go fucking clueless, and I was clueless. And then she shows she asks Warner, "Hey, what shoes are these?" And he's like, "Uh, black ones." <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I said the exact I I said the same thing. Yeah, they're just they're black shoes. I don't even know what to call them. <laughs> Heels. I I would have because they have like yeah. a little little pump i guess in the bar or whatever uh yeah. i i love that love that whole scene and yeah. i love how emmett gets the truth I just, that whole scene yeah. is great that, but, the, the fact that he's there too that chuck is there and stands up and everyone turns like what, what? <laughs> it's like so, it's like some it's shit funny. out of a novella <gasps> yeah but uh well back to the original point yeah so there aren't there's that, there aren't that many people of color there's like three there's two black women i would say yeah, the two black women, and then there's one or two black men in the Harvard class. And oh, I shit. I was like really fucked up because Professor Stromwell is asking David, like the nerdy guy, like, oh, who said this quote? <laughs> um, the law is reason free from passion. And he's like, oh, Aristotle. And then she's like, are you sure? He's like, yes. Would you bet your life on it? And he's like, yes. And then she points to one of the only black kids. In the class, would you bet his life on it, implying that he would be a defendant that David would be representing as a lawyer? Oh, I was like, I, man, I thought, this... I thought, like, are you going to give this guy's life up? I was like, oh, because oh, I didn't even think of it that way. Dude, and I was like, man, it's pretty racist. But there's this Instagram account called Black at Harvard, and if you think that's racist, dude, let me let me read one of the the posts that I saved. It's kind of like overheard LA where you would talk about that something that you overheard or something that you experienced, I guess. All right. So the, the post reads in my 14th amendment class, my professor talked about a Supreme court case that green lighted lynchings across the South. And the court case was United States versus Krukshank in 1876. He felt that the decision was brilliant through the lenses of federalism and the court's fidelity to role. 
I choked back tears when I tried to explain how, as a descendant of slaves and sharecroppers who escaped the violence of the South, there was nothing brilliant about this case to me. This has been a great paradox of being black at Harvard Law School. My ancestors escaped and persevered through America's violent anti-blackness. They creatively fought and sacrificed and dreamed me all the way to Harvard Law School only for me to have to explain basic information about the evils they faced to top historical and constitutional scholars. And this, this dude was uh, in the class of 2021. Still in school. Yeah. I, for me, I didn't, I didn't see so much as her pointing at the black guy. I just like noticed the lack of people of color in this movie. Like in her, yeah. in her, in the entire opening montage where one of the sorority sisters is taking a happy card, like a card to L where every, every one of her sisters is signing it. No one, no one darker than, than a shade of white. Spray tan. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, this hasn't aged too well. And again, I don't, I I do not think the, the filmmakers were like, wow, we can't have anyone else in here except white, but it's, I'm sure there were scenes in Hollywood. I'm sure there were scenes in Hollywood films where people were like, "I don't want any black people in these scenes," or "I don't want any Mexicans in this." Like, I am definitely, positively sure that that happened all throughout Hollywood. I can't say for certain it didn't happen in this one. I'd, I would love yeah. to think that it was just a oversight. That's what I think. Because in this, in the sequel, do you know who's in the sequel? No idea. Uh, Regina. Regina King. Regina King. Yes. Okay. There's going to be a third one. Do you know who's writing that one? No. Mindy Kaling. Really? Yeah. Oh. I think Reese Witherspoon has gone out of her way to like share her, you know, light with um, women of color, like with little fires everywhere and stuff. She definitely seems to be doing a lot more positive positivity now towards in, striving for that. I'm not saying that she was bad at one point. But she's definitely been keeping up with everything that's happened com- uh, currently. And it's like, no, we're going to, I am going to hire more women of color and I am going to do more. In that regard, this film has not aged well. But yeah. there's still a lot to enjoy. Yeah. And, and like w- with what it, what it says about femphobia and how that's a big problem. And- I think that it's held up in those cases, like you said. But there's definitely some issues with, you know, the casting and stuff. But again, that, that could just be oversight, like you said earlier. But there were a lot of, you know, points that were that I mentioned earlier that I think still really held up. A lot of a lot of films. A lot of films did not do enough to really be fair to everyone and give everyone a chance. Um and that's part of the benefit of looking going back and seeing this stuff, you know? It's learning and yeah. like, yeah, not enough was done, but that doesn't have to be the case anymore. And as mm-hmm. what you just told me with Legally Blonde three, that is not the case because she's already because yeah. she's already hiring Millie Kaling. What's the? And I'm sure she's doing a lot more. I'm I'm excited to to see Legally Blonde three. I am a little curious to see the second one. I heard it's not that good, but I mean, yeah, I'm in love with Elle's character. That I'm like, you know what? I I just want to see her and what kind of shenanigans mm-hmm. she gets into. Which I think is what most people like went to the second one for is to see Reese Witherspoon, absolutely the L again. Yeah. There's some things I remember from that one. Yeah, like the snap cup. Mm-hmm. Like that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. And the snap cup is like 
you have to say positive things about your uh, female workmates, right? Is that what it was? No, like it started off as like a sorority thing uh-huh. and then she uses it in a different situation and they, it's not just female only. It just, it happened to be something they did at her sorority. Oh, was it only positive? Positive things that you feel about people. So you'd be like, oh, you know, Michelle aced her final snaps for Michelle, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's keeping with that theme of, you know, celebrating or being positive, I guess. Yeah. Why wouldn't I want to watch something like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, it may not be as good, but that's still good energy. That's it's definitely not as good. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. <laughs> now, but and ultimately, this film still holds up for me because the message is still relevant. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff about yeah. women in office, and it's just saying, you know what? Maybe you don't really know people all that well, because you, you look yeah. at someone and you think you might have them pegged. That's not really the case. As to quote. And this, I, I seem to be using this quote a lot more and more. But to quote a great film, there's more than meets the eye. Jesus Christ. I wish you would just stop saying that. I'm going to re-quote this film every chance I get. <laughs> and honestly, it kind of works with this movie. Yeah. So what's your, what's your uh, quote that sums up how you feel about Legally Blonde? Uh, it comes from... It comes a few minutes after the halfway point, And it's between Professor Callahan and Emmett. Callahan has the pink resume that's scented. And mm-hmm. he hands it over to Emmett. He's like, smell this. Emmett says, what is this? Professor Callahan says, her resume. Evan smells it. He's like, smells good. That's what this movie is. It smells good. <laughs> I have a quote. Um, I mentioned it earlier. It's when... Uh, Elle goes to visit Brooke, gets her alibi, and she tells Callahan, I have her alibi. And he's like, well, what is it? And she says, oh, I told her I wouldn't tell you. I cannot break the bonds of sisterhood. That's my quote for this movie. It's a good quote. People were snapping at her, like, give him the the alibi. Mm -hmm. Nope. And Warner's like, who cares about her? Like, you'll be a, a partner. If we win this case. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, give him the alibi. Like, you could save yourself a lot of trouble. But she doesn't. She sticks to her guns and she solves the case. And that's what, you know, wins Vivian over. Like, when she sees how... She sees the strength in her character. I like the quote where she was in with her um, counselor in Mm -hmm. school. And she asked... um, Because she was freaking out about her choice... And she asked if she had any backups, and she said, I don't need backups. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need backups. She has a goal, and she doesn't see it as anything other than attainable. Yes. And I think that's that's a really good mentality to have. Absolutely. Unless you're trying to, like, I don't know, stalk somebody and try to get them to go out with you. Jesus Christ, That's what not... a fucking way to end the episode. I don't want anyone to like think that, oh yeah, I can do that. Yeah, never stop. If you want something, you go out and get it, a bunch of men. Yeah! <laughs> yeah that, no, no, no. And like, not a bunch of women in the, in the group are like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel safe anymore. Yeah. All right, so I think that's it for our episode of Legally Blonde. Oh, something we never talked about. I love David Kidney. Who? David Kidney. The, the guy who was deworming Ooh. kids that's in Somalia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I love the, that guy. I love him. Yeah. When she's too short to get a book from the top of the shelf, he helps her. Um, yeah. She helps him when he's trying to like ask a girl if she wants to go out on a date. It's just mm-hmm. a cute relationship. I could have used more of it, but nah, it's fine. They're cute together. I love them. I love David Kidney. Yeah. But there's some like really fucked up shit in the the script that is not in the movie. I'm glad they took it out. There's some more lines that Enid has that are like, what the hell? Like when they're talking about Brooke, she says, well, kind of woman like that will sleep with anybody. Oh. <laughs> so she's like slut shaming Brooke. And then there's another line when they're at the party, they're taking bets on how long Elle will last. And then she's like, well, why don't you think I'll last in here? And Enid says, because you don't have anything worthwhile to contribute to society. Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then a dude says, what do you mean? Bimbos have use in society. Who, who are we going to sleep with when we become rich and successful? Yeah, I'm good without that <laughs> version of Legally yeah. Blonde. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's bad, but I it's it just makes Enid seem a lot worse. Yeah. I think and a lot more phony. Honestly, uh. if if I had run, if I had laughed at someone saying the stuff she was saying about Semester Ovester, and they in real life, if I had laughed at something like that, and a bunch of people were laughing or like judging me, you're goddamn right, I'm gonna make them look bad in the book. Fuck them. Yeah, but like to go as as far to say as like they're not women, like that's kind of well, backwards. That's probably that's probably how the writer felt when they were because of the well, she, discrimination against her. I guess that's she didn't even complete Harvard Law. It's not that she wasn't capable. Stanford of, or Stanford. I'm sorry. It wasn't that she was she wasn't able to finish it. It's that she just felt bullied and they bullied her out. Yeah. So I mean, which is something Elle never does. She never tries to make anyone feel less than because they're not as feminine as her. Which in I didn't talk about this. I forgot. But there's an alternate ending that test audiences hated. Where after she breaks up with Warner, she kisses Emmett on the stairs, and then it goes into like one year later, and Vivian and Elle have a a store or they're they're practicing law together, and now Vivian is blonde. Yeah, I don't like that. I'm not a fan. Yeah, it's like well, first of all, this wasn't a romantic comedy, so that kiss doesn't really like mean much. And she's making Vivian conform to Elle's ideas of what it means to be a woman. Like, that's kind of backwards. It's just a very weird thing. Yeah, so I'm glad that it ended the way it did. I think it's a pretty solid movie. I think it's pretty ahead of its time. Um, And I'm looking forward to Legally Blonde 3. Like, I will probably see that in theaters if we're allowed to go to theaters (laughs) by then. Yeah, who knows? Way to bring back that depressing subject. (laughs) Damn. It's keeping it relevant. We're making history here. Ah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our review and talk about Legally Blonde. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are retrograde underscore pod. Uh, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe and leave us five stars. It helps other people find this podcast. Helps us grow. Ending this stuff is and- always hard. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's we're still learning. Is there anything you want to plug, Leanna? No. <laughs> I I, yeah, I thought you would do your own little spiel of all the areas that you are oh. on. Uh, what and it, then I would just say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>
And that that would be my job because I'm not good at this. Yeah. You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. See, I remembered. Nice. <laughs> but um, you've done this. Yeah. So we, we should be. <laughs> I should know this. There's too many podcast places. Yeah. And there's going to be more. So. <laughs> no, but thanks for. All right. Thanks. Think- God damn it, Austin. Go. Sorry, you go. go you, ahead. you go. All right. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.